Well, we've uh, been working through this series of a white-hot church, and really with the, even the visual of, of just that, 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 what it means to take that charcoal, to light the center of that and start getting it just that white-hot and then start bringing in all of those coals that are around it, and so that it then becomes contagious. For the last number of weeks, uh, three weeks ago, we looked at a white-hot church, and, and it is Christ-purposed about Jesus Christ being at the center of all that takes place. Two weeks ago, then, we looked at at a Spirit-empowered church. And we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as it talks through that the power that we have and within the church comes from God's Holy Spirit who indwells believers and gifts believers. And we talked through some of those spiritual gifts. And then last week, we looked at a God-indwelled church. From uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we saw what it means and, and with some of those gifts, but the fact that, that as we are white hot and others come in and they say, truly God is amongst us. That God is indwelling this place. And, and so the last couple of weeks we looked at 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. But this week we want to look at 1 Corinthians 13. Kind of sandwiched in the middle of this passage about the spiritual gifts and what the church should look like and is this passage on love. And that's the title today, A White Hot Church is Love Motivated. As we talk about gifting, as we talk about what God is doing and, and what we are doing as an outflow of that, it is so important and vital that we keep at the center of all, most important, that we are a loving church, that we are a love-motivated church, that that is a white-hot church, is love-motivated. So I want to invite you, if you've not done so already, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, coming right on the heels of a list of spiritual gifts, of things that the Holy Spirit does to empower His, uh, His church to do the work that God has called us to do. And on the heels of that, we see in verse 1 of chapter 13, God says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So he starts off in saying, while we have all of these gifts and things, but even if I speak with the tongues of of men and angel. Even if I'm able to speak in such eloquence and I can speak of, uh, of the languages of whomever might be around and he just referenced the gift of tongues in the previous verses and he says, even if I'm able to speak all of those languages or any of these languages and we're going to see in these next few verses that really Paul, is, as he's writing, he's writing uh, hyperbolically. He, he's giving kind of the exaggerations of and saying, even to an exaggeration, if I was able to speak with such eloquent tongue of men, or even more than that, or tongues of angels, even if I could speak the eloquent language of the angels. Just a little sidebar on that. We don't even know what that is. But Paul's saying, even if I could speak like men and angels and just that magnificent oratory skills, but I have not love. 
Now the love that we're going to see in this passage is a love that we see all throughout the New Testament. The word is agape. You've heard this before. It's, it's that self-sacrificing love. It's that, uh, um, that self-giving love. Literally, we could sum it up as, as goodwill. And so Paul here, is, as he's writing in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, look, a white-hot church, even if I had the gift of languages and was the most eloquent of speakers, but I miss out on and I've failed to love, what does he say? It's like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Oh, yeah, I got the cymbals. If I have not love, if I'm able to speak the best that I can, and then with such eloquence like you can't even imagine. Kind of annoying, isn't it? I said the people in the first few rows, it's just downright obnoxious. And that's what Paul's saying. So many times as we're going around and we're doing these, these different things and, and we see ourselves as so eloquent in the things that we're saying, but yet failing to love in the midst of it and it's just like that obnoxious sounding that leaves your ears ringing and you hear nothing else. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, and if I have prophetic powers, if I have the ability to to speak the words of God, to be God's mouthpiece, to proclaim the truth of God's word, to, to be able to, to, to speak God's word, whether present or whether it's God's word, even of the future things and the, the, the gift of, of prophecy. But he doesn't stop there. He says, or if I understand all mysteries, if I'm able to comprehend all of the mysteries of God, when you see mysteries in the New Testament, those are the things of God that, that, that he kept hidden for a season and then starts to reveal to us later. And Paul's saying, even if you have that, that, that God-given discernment to understand those mysteries, those things in which God either is starting to reveal or has yet to reveal, and I understand all mysteries. And he, and he says, or if I can understand all knowledge. All knowledge. The, the word knowledge there is, is factual human understanding. Meaning Paul's saying, even if I have the gift that I'm able to just know it all, to understand what all of those facts are, to have my unbelievable IQ and, and just to be able to understand all that there is to understand. Or maybe if I have the gift of faith. The gift of faith and, and, and the spiritual gift of faith is not just we're talking about saving faith. And we all need to have saving faith to be called a child of God. But even more about that, bigger than that, the gift of faith is this supernatural ability to trust and have the assurance of God. The gift of faith even to move mountains. Paul says, and he's, he's referencing there uh, Matthew 17, 20, where, where Jesus said where if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could, you could command this mountain to move and it would move. I think that's what Paul's referencing here. Even if I have that gift, that supernatural gift of just an assurance of what God is doing to the point of being able to move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. 
He's gone through five different supernatural gifts uh, to the extremes. And he's saying, look, even if you are the best of the best of the best in these things, but you fail to love, it's worth nothing. Zero. Nada. Zip. But he doesn't stop there. He says, if I give away all that I have, if I come along and I and I and I uh, am willing to donate all of my possessions, I'm, I'm willing to be generous to the point of even hurting myself, where I'm leaving myself with nothing left. Donate all that I have, or I give my body to be burned. I'm willing to be able to take a stand for Christ, and in that day. The reference, I'm sure, is even to the point of being burned at the stake, a martyr for Christ. If I'm able to give it all, even to my life, but I have not love, I gain nothing. We could say it this way. No love equals worthless. Say it with me. No love equals worthless. It's not worth anything. Not at all. A white-hot church is a church that, that has people who are motivated by love, that they value love. That's the first point there is to value love because it's most important. Please don't miss, miss out on this. Paul's starting off this section on love, and he's saying, look, first thing you need to realize is this is the most important thing. Talking about gifts, talking about how the church operates, and all of the components that are necessary to accomplish God's will in the community. And, and he said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that church must be motivated by love. Some questions that I had as I was studying through this, first of all, is so, so who are we to love? Who are we to love? Well, the Bible kind of, in the New Testament, has a number of people that are listed out that we are commanded to love. First of all, we're to love God. Matthew 12, 30 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're, we're to love, uh, secondly, we're to love our neighbor. Matthew 12, 31 says, and love your neighbor as yourself. We're to love our enemies. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 44, he said to, to love your enemies and to pray for them. We know that we're to love our spouses and our children. In Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And Titus 2 says wives or older women teach younger women to love their husbands and their children. So we're commanded to love our, our families. We're commanded to love our friends, John 15, 13. No greater love than this than a man laid down his life for a friend. And I think in the context of this passage here, we're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. John 13, 34 and 35 says, They will know that you are my disciples because you have love for one another. It was the distinguishing mark of the early church. They, would, they were known by their love. A white-hot church values 
love. It's motivated by love, but I find in my life sometimes some things kind of get me off track of that. And so here's, here's four things that, uh, that sometimes hinder my love for the people that are around me. These are kind of overlap each other in some ways, just as I was thinking through this, but uh, they kind of bleed together. But number one is my comfort. Sometimes I'm unloving because I'm more concerned about my comfort. I want what I want, and, and I just don't want to bother with, because I just want to be comfortable in the moment. Number two is my plans or my expectations. You know, my, my tasks, the list that I have to do this, this day, and, 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 and my schedule, and I'm on my schedule, and i got to do my stuff, and I've got an expectation of completing this, and, and so I'm more concerned about doing my task and meeting my expectations that I have for the day that I lose sight of the people around me. Number three, my desires. 1 John 2.16 talks about the, the lust that we have, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. The, the lust of the, the flesh, you know, what, what feels good, what looks good, or what shows me off. So I want what feels good. What looks good in the moment, or what makes me look good and shows me off. Kind of summed it up here. Number four is, just simply put, my idols. The things that I'm placing before God that I'm worshiping in that moment that's taking the place of God. You know the things. It's the things that we're hanging on to tightly. And those are the things many times that, that trip me up and get me to value other things, some of these things, instead of valuing love, as the first three verses say. Well, um... <clears throat> Just a little transparent moment here. So this week my family informed me that I have a tendency of being a negative person. It's not the first time that they've reminded me of this fact and, and I don't think that they're wrong, unfortunately. Let me ask you a question here. When I hold up this glass, what do you see? Yeah. How many of you see this as half full and how many of you see this as half empty? You know, unfortunately, I find that I'm more of a glasses half empty kind of guy. And that was kind of the challenge this week in a very loving way is the fact that while I consider myself to be discerning, when I consider myself to be a critical thinker, I think a lot of times I am, I, I, I like to be a problem solver. And while I may be doing those things, for me, especially in the past few weeks, it's, it's caused me, though, to be negative. My critical thinking has just caused me at times to be critical. And so that just bleeds into the people around me. That makes me unloving. And so my question to you this morning is, how about you? How about you? 
Where is it in, in your life in the last week where, where maybe you've struggled to be loving the people that are around you? Or what is the thing in your life that you may be valuing more than love? I'd invite you, if, if you're having trouble thinking what that could be, you might want to try to ask the people that are around you and ask them if they can very lovingly tell you what it may be in your life. So are you showing love? But, but, but the next question that we find is, well, but how do I know? I'm to value love, but, but so what is this love that's being spoken of here? And, and that's really what Paul addresses next. We see in Point number two is to display love as an act of worship. Display love as an act of worship, and he starts in verse four. And we see that love is edifying, and so what does it look like? Well, verse four, he starts off, love is patient. Patient. What what is patience? Patience is is the capacity to be wronged and not retaliate. Literally what it's saying is the patience, the word used here is, we would say is long-suffering. It suffers long. The patience it's talking about here is talking about in dealing with people. It's not even so much circumstances. It's, it's the patience is even when I'm wrong, even when I'm accused, but to just be calm and to not be looking to, to defend or, or looking for retaliation. Love is patient, but... Love is also kind. Love actively does good. It's gracious. The kindness spoken of here, it's it's gracious. It's serving. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love, uh, and it's kind of two extremes of the same line here. Envy, it's, it's I want what you have. And then at the other end, the boasting, it's, it's let me show you what I have. And so it becomes very big-headed and show-off. Love isn't envious. Love isn't desirous of what you've got, and it's not quick to be showing off what you may have and others don't have. Love uh, is not arrogant. Love is not arrogant. Arrogance here, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, being puffed up, being big-headed. Another definition here, it, it, uh, it believes better of yourself than what it should. I heard it one time said this way. Uh, one one fellow said that, that pride is thinking yourself greater than what you are, and arrogance is thinking that everybody else agrees with you. It's a pretty good definition, I thought. It's not even just thinking that I'm all that. It's that you think that I'm all that. Then I'll judge from the laughter that, uh, yeah, you don't. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. Love is not rude. Uh, It's not unbehaving, unseemly, or has poor manners. Guys, sometimes this is something... We need to remember, even in loving our, our wives and our family, it's, it's not rude. It's not insisting of its own way. 
Not insisting of its own. It's not self-seeking. Love's not one that says it's got to be my way. We're going to do it, but we got to do it my way. What I want in the moment. It's not insisting of its own way. It's not irritable. It's not easily annoyed or easily provoked. Let me just mention, guys, there is no place in the church for grumpy Christians. Right? Why? Because love is not grumpy. It's not easily irritated or annoyed. It's not resentful. Resentful, it means getting even. It literally means keeping a ledger. You ever catch yourself doing that where you're, you're keeping the list of who has wronged you and what has done and how severe the wrongs have been? Love is not resentful. Verse 6, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It doesn't take pleasure in sin, but rather it rejoices in the truth. It takes pleasure in what is right. It takes pleasure in what is honest. Paul continues here, love bears all things. Bears all things. The idea there is it's love is protective. It's always protecting. It's covering. It's supporting. Literally, it gives the idea of, I got your back. When he's talking about love bears all things, it's saying, I've got your back. I'm looking out for you in a very protective way. It, it bears all things. Love, it believes all things. It trusts. It thinks the best of the other person. Or it, uh, it gives them the benefit of the doubt. You know, we, we don't have any trouble loving ourselves, do we? How do I know this? It's because so many times in my life, I'm quick to give myself the benefit of the doubt. And whatever it is, I come and, well, you need to understand, I, I was having a bad day. I was all stressed out. I had a list of things to do. And all of those things that you give yourself the benefit of the doubt, but how quick are we to give the other person the benefit of the doubt? Love believes all things. It gives them the benefit of the doubt. It hopes all things. Love has a positive outlook. It's the believing the best. It's optimistic for what is to come. Love endures all things. It perseveres. It, it's forgiving it, it, it keeps going on no matter what. And then he ends this section with the first part of verse 8. Love never fails. Love never fails. It, it never stops. It never ceases. It kind of gives the idea it never falls away like the petals of a flower. Love never fails. That's quite a description of love, isn't it? It's a pretty all-encompassing love. And while Paul starts off and says we need to value love, it is the most important. doesn't matter what you do, how much you sacrifice, how great the accomplishments. If you don't have love, it's worthless. It's futile. It's obnoxious like the symbols. And then we need to be displaying love. And he says, this is what love looks like. This is what we should be doing in a white-hot church. 
is love motivated, meaning these characteristics are what needs to be just exude from us. The only problem with that is, as I was working through this, is, so how do I do it? Okay, I'm to love, and if you're like me, I have a tendency of muscling things anyway. And so I get my list. Okay, today I'm going to love, and I'm just going to grit my teeth and just work through it. And that's a really tough thing to do when it's loving, right? So how do we do it? And, and we see here from another passage of Scripture that we do it by drawing close to the one who is love. I want you to write down this, this verse here, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, let me, let me read it to you. It says, Beloved... Fellow loved one, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So what's he saying? He's saying this is how you do it. How do we love Well, John says, we love one another because love is from God. Literally, he says, God is love. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So how do we go about loving? Here's three ways to practice love in our life. I'm just going to let you in on a secret. This is nothing new. These three ways are coming from just a series that Pastor Tim worked through just this spring, the On Fire series. And the top three ways to, to practice love, number one, is to encounter God. To encounter God. Remember the triangle that we worked through for several weeks, and, and how do we go about doing it? It starts with encountering God. What do you say? That you know God. If you're not practicing love, it's because you don't know God. It's that knowledge there. It's not just this intellectual. It's an intimate knowledge of God. And so it's taking that time to encounter God as we get into his word, as we spend time with him. And we know who it is and we see and we hear from God. Spending time in his word to counter God. Number two is to exalt. To exalt John 15 says that we are to abide in Christ. We're to be walking. We're to be spending time together. And we went through the series in that triangle. Remember, there was the the three things. We were to behold, to be still, and to be filled. To behold who is God. As we see God, we worship this magnificent God that we serve. We raise our hands in worship as we behold. And then we be still, which literally means the dropping of hands as we just meditate and contemplate on who God is, and then we're to be filled. As we confess our sins and and as we worship God and replace with praise and worship, we encounter God, we exalt God, and then thirdly, thirdly, then we engage. We engage. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We worship God by obedience, by living it out. Not just saying it in word only, but also in our actions and reflecting that. And all three of those are equally important. We encounter God, we exalt God, and then we engage and obey God. So, again, just a reminder, you... uh, probably saw something similar to this. Pastor Tim actually used this illustration, and I'm coming back to it because I think it's a great reminder. It's been a a wonderful reminder for me, but so how do we do this if we value love, and how are we to go about displaying love? It's by drawing close to the one who is love, and you see here this picture of water, and this picture represents God. Inside of the picture is who God is. It's the love of God, and we are the cup, and and really what these passages are telling us is, is that the God of love, as he pours into us, and he fills us up. And so we are coming to the point, we, God's love has been filling us up. And as he continues to fill us up, the water just can't help but spill overflow into those that are around us. You want to know how to show love? It's by knowing the one who is love. It's by spending time to abide in Christ. And the more that we are with God, the more that he is just filling us up as we come in in contact with the people around us, we just can't help but let it just overflow and to spill out. And so let me ask you, how are you doing this week in your love? How are you doing in your love? As you go through that list, and how do, you, how do we measure up? Are, are, are those characteristics the characteristics of, of my actions this week with the, with the people around me? And if you're like me, sometimes I'm, I'm better with the people that are a little more at a distance, and I'm a little, it's a little harder to, to live it out in the day-to-day behind closed doors at home, right? You know, when you're really yourself. And so if you're struggling in this, because a white hot church, it it is love motivated. So how do we engage God's love, the God who is love, by drawing close to him? And so my question this morning is, what, what needs to go? What is it in my life that I'm valuing more than love? What, what might I need to, to just set down? And hey, guys, it may not be a bad thing. But it's not the most important thing. And I need to set that down. And what do I need to start doing this week to start drawing closer to God, to encounter, to exalt, and engage him this week? The more that I'm with the God of love, the more that I'm with the God who is love, the more that it will just naturally spill out and I will be loving to the people around me. And all God's people said...